Well, today I'm going to get moving. It's 20 after 11, and I am going to move quite along. I, I started this message a couple weeks ago, and really it, di it didn't just get started by me. It really got started uh, by Jeff Hughes on a message he had about family and a message about being the body of Christ. And then Shelly came along and shared some things about family and our family of origin, how our families get jacked up as we're growing up. And, uh, and Tom then came back, and, and even Shelly, they shared this prophetic word that was a corporate word that was shared out at the One Thing Conference. And that One Thing Conference, there was a prophetic word over the body of Christ at, at whole. And uh, Tom shared that in his message. And um, I, I, so I, I, we started this series about creating healthy families. So if you're taking notes today... <clears throat> well, you can just put over your header, you know, creating healthy families. And that's kind of the series. That is the series we're on right now. And God is wanting to create healthy families. Do you guys realize that healthy families don't just happen? If you do nothing, you will get nothing. And healthy families don't just happen. Healthy families literally are created by the master's hand. <laughs> And it's with when we yield to the Spirit of God and we put things into practice that, that our families become healthy. They, they are created. And, and in our cultures, there's not a lot of creating of healthy families. There's a lot of dysfunction, and we talked about that two weeks ago when I shared my first message. And so what I've been doing is I've, I'm going through a series of, <clears throat> of just painting a picture of what healthy families do. What are the practices that healthy families do? And if you will engage your heart and you will be a family that engages in these principles uh, and these practices, you will have a healthy family. If you allow God to change your heart and you begin to move from the dysfunction of the way you're currently doing it and you apply these principles of the Word of God, your family will be healthy. It is you will reap what you are sowing. And it will happen. It will happen. It will happen. And so I, I, I just came up with a list of 10. We got through two last week. And I'm not going to go over. I'm going to just briefly mention the two if you weren't here. If you weren't here for the message two weeks ago, I really encourage you just get on the, our website, listen to the podcast, because I, I don't have time to recap that. But what I do want to recap is I want to recap <clears throat> the prophetic word that was spoken in um, at, at IHOP on a much larger scale, and I want to I recap that prophetic word so you know where we're going and that it creates a, a need and a desire in you to leave the life of dysfunction in our families and to create healthy families within your own personal family because, again, as your personal family gets healthier, as your personal family gets healthier, this house will get healthier. It is a byproduct of all of us getting healthier in our families. Can I have an amen on that? Do you believe that principle? I mean, we're, this church is not going to be healthy if we're not all healthy. Amen? In our families. And so the prophetic word was this. I will not tolerate the dysfunction of my family any longer. And I will remove the grace that is covering your weaknesses. The dysfunction of our relationships won't be tolerated. The dysfunction of our relationships will not be tolerated. Then the good news came. That was the correction of the Lord. That was the Lord saying, I'm not going to tolerate the dysfunction. But then came the answer to that. He says, in this season, everybody say, in this season, the Lord is removing the grace that covered our longtime sins and dysfunction, but God is replacing it with the grace to overcome. Everybody say, God's given me grace to overcome my dysfunction. And so uh, two weeks ago, I talked about what dysfunction was, and I gave you this definition of what dysfunction is, and it's right here. Oh, a candle. No, no, not the video. My PowerPoint. Dysfunction is a consequence. Everybody say consequence. Of bad social practices and bad behavior patterns that undermine the family and the church. Dysfunction is a consequence of bad social practices and bad behavior patterns that undermine the church. So, my question to you is this, as we advance the screen, please. It's not, am I on or off? There we go, maybe. There we go. Dysfunction is the consequence of what two things? 
We just said it in the definition. Louder. Bad social practices and bad behavior patterns. Bad social practices, bad behavior. Behavioral patterns. That is the dysfunction that, that, that is the cause of the dysfunction in our families. And so if we are going to be people of God, we have to have the fear of the Lord to inform our decisions. We have to have the fear of the Lord to say, I am going to find out what God's practices are, what God's behaviors are, and I'm going to reflect that behavior to my family and my church family. Can I have an amen on that? So again, Dysfunction is a consequence of bad social practices and bad behavior patterns. And it is thicker than hair on a dog's rear end, not only in the church, but in our culture. Right? And so here in my own life, the consequence, so the word consequence kept hitting me, and the, the word consequence, and so I'm going to share. So my bad behavior as a father, I, I wish... I mean, my kids are in their 20s now. 20 years ago, there became this revolution within the body of Christ of, of information and practical application of how to raise kids God's way, how to, how to love kids on purpose. All kinds of material began to come into the body of Christ. I wish I knew right now, I wish I knew what I know right now, I wish I knew it 20 years ago. I wish, I wish, I wish, I could have done a lot of things different with my children. But literally, my dysfunction, my, my anger, my anger, which is a behavior, it's, it's a behavior that I exhibited when my kids were knee-high to a grasshopper. My anger caused some dysfunction. That I literally had to repent and ask my kids to forgive me. But that anger literally intimidated my children. My anger intimidated them and, and would put fear in them. And I was not a safe place. Now, I didn't beat my kids. I, mean, I, I want to make sure that you understand. But I would fly off when things didn't go the way I wanted it or the way, the way they wanted it. I mean, it really, I was, I was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> you know, and it could be over a mistake. It didn't, it didn't have to be over rebellion. It would be an honest mistake, and, and uh, thank God only one of my children are here today, but they would say amen, wouldn't they? I'm getting an odd from my daughter. But daddy's changed. Is that not true, Rebecca? Yes, dad's changed because I've found the word of God, and as I get into the word of God, he begins to refine my character when I see what practices and what behavior God is looking for. And he changes us and he conforms us to his image. But that's what I'm talking about. The consequences of your behavior, the consequences of the practices your family handed to you. Because I promise you, that practice was handed to me. And it was handed to me on a gold plate. <laughs> and there was lots of food on it. And it, it, it reinforced how I should respond in my family. So my family of origin really jacked me up. Did any of your family jack you up? I mean, we've got practices in our family that you think are normal, and they are jacked. It's like, why do you think that's normal? That ain't normal. What do you mean it's not normal? No, that's not what God's kids do. And again, I've got, we've got to change what we believe if we're going to change our behavior. You act the way you act because of what you believe. And I believe that my anger got control. I believe my anger worked. It got me short-term results with long-term problems. Long-term things where my children had to go to the mountain at RTF and they had to get emotional healing because of this guy. I spent thousands of dollars to pay for all of my kids to get emotional healing. Thousands of dollars. Because I believed in it. Because I knew what I had done through my anger. And that's what I'm talking about. The consequence is too high. The consequences of bad practices and bad behavior is what causes the dysfunction in our families. It causes the dysfunction in our relationships. 
And God's saying, I ain't going to do it no more. I am not going to tolerate the dysfunction any longer. Amen? Are you on board with me? But God says, I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the grace to overcome that stuff. So right now, if you're jacked up and you have some of these issues, I say, get help. Please, you're killing me. Killing me is not quite the word I should say. You're discouraging me. Get set free. So I reworded the prophetic word out in Kansas City according to Eric. Are you okay with this? I'm going to show you my prophetic word. Here's the kind of the way I, I, and that's not to dishonor what was said, but for new covenant, I believe God's saying, I will not tolerate the dysfunctional practices and the dysfunctional behaviors of my family any longer. And I will remove the grace that is covering these behaviors and practices. The dysfunction of your relationships will not be tolerated. And I am bringing a grace to you to overcome these family practices and behaviors that have caused dysfunction in your family. Everybody say amen on that. And so briefly what I did, the practices and behaviors of a healthy family, creating a healthy family, a couple, two weeks ago, I covered two of those attributes, two of those things, and I pray to God you remember what those two were. I pray you did your homework. I'm believing by faith that you did your homework. If you didn't, oh, please quit not applying the word of God. Please apply it, right? But at any rate, the first one was healthy families share a spiritual commitment. And uh, I, I actually... Um, Put on here, uh, a healthy families, I even added the word practice. Healthy families practice and share a spiritual commitment. I had a wonderful uh, testimony from this. Somebody said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start coming back to church with my wife. I'm going, to, I'm going to actually be unified. And I said, praise the Lord. Families have to be unified in their spiritual life and their spiritual commitments. You can't have mom on one side and dad on another, and we teach them to our kids, and I'm not getting into that. Go listen to the podcast. It's good. It gives you some points on what you can do to apply it to your life. And the second one was healthy families are attuned and care for the needs of others in the family. Man, that's a huge issue because care is really, really low in the body of Christ and in families, and therefore needs aren't being met, and therefore fear, anxiety, and pressure is so high in children these days. The mental illness and the mental capacity of, of people is really, really damaged by it, and I'm not going to go there. That was because I, I got to keep moving for time. Everybody say amen. So those were the first two, but today what I want to do is I want to go to the third characteristic or the third practice that healthy families do and for some reason, it's not advancing, brothers. Oh, there it is. Healthy families, everybody read it. Healthy families encourage and explore emotions. Healthy families encourage and explore emotions. No emotion or feeling gets discounted in healthy families. In healthy families, they encourage emotions and do not shut them off. In healthy families, emotions are explored to discover what is going on inside of the loved one. All members are able to share their feelings, their goals, their accomplishments, and their experiences. Can I have an amen on that? Do you realize that your feelings and emotions are the way we express ourselves? Even God has emotions. It's how we express ourselves. Our feelings, when our feelings are valued, when they are uh, celebrated, it brings about closeness and oneness within the family. It helps us to express ourselves. When feelings are valued, it enables us to experience closeness with each other in the body of Christ and closeness within our families. Healthy families create an open dialogue for feelings and emotions to be expressed and taken seriously. If your children or your spouse or people in the church show excitement, we should show excitement with them. Can I have an amen on that? We need to celebrate with them. But you know, literally, we express ourselves through sadness, through anger, through frustration, through disappointment, and all of those emotions. If we... If we don't explore them within our family, I missed so many emotions and feelings of my children when they were growing up. I missed them. I didn't see them. 
And I'm telling you, it, we, have to, we have to develop these skills, we have to develop these practices within our lives so that we are observant about the emotions that our children and the people in the house of God are going through. Because they are a window to the soul. They're a window to, to see inside about what is going on with the person. And here's what I found with emotions. If I would just probe gently with somebody when it comes to their feelings and emotions, and if I will show empathy and validate their emotions, even if I don't fully understand it, even if I don't think it's substantiated, I, I mean, there are times where I think, why did my child have that emotion? Why did they feel that? Well, they were being lied to by the enemy, first off. But again, you can, the, the, it can be unsubstantiated emotions. They don't even have to be real. But you've got to explore them. Don't worry about the facts at the time. Here's what most families do. The unsubstantiated thing that's going on in the feelings and the emotions we try to begin to immediately correct and say, you're not thinking straightly, you're not doing it right, you're not, and we begin to go fix, fix, fix. But the goal in a healthy family is, no, to seek to understand what's going on in you inside here and to explore that emotion. Here's what happened to me. When I was 13 years old, I had my first girlfriend. Can you believe I was, I, it didn't, I had my first girlfriend at 13. And her name was Kelly, and she rode the bus with me. And I know, this is so comical, but it really was a powerful moment in my life. But at 13, I would walk her to her house, because we lived just two or three blocks away. I would walk her to her house, see you later, and I would walk on home. Well, on the bus, she tells me she's going to break up with me. Everybody say, aw. Aw. And so I'm emotional. I'm emotional. I was like, rejection is hitting me. I mean, the enemy is at work. You know how it works when you're young. I mean, the enemy, ha, ha, an opportunity to slam Eric. But at any rate, so I go to her house. She's going to give me the, the, the necklace and whatever I had given her. Right. And so I'm out front of her house, and I'm out by the road, and I'm waiting and waiting, crying, waiting and waiting, crying. I mean, dear God. And I'm late. And normally I'm home by now. And so my dad comes looking for me in the car. He sees me out in front of her house. She finally comes and gives me my stuff. And I was actually just getting ready to walk home because she came and gave me my stuff. And I'm bawling. Dad pulls up in the car. Hops in. I hop in the car. I said, what's going on? Oh, she just broke up with me. And I go through all these emotions, and I go through all this stuff. And my dad allowed me to cry. He allowed me to feel the rejection. He did not correct me. He did not fix me. He did not say, Eric, it's only puppy love, dude. Get a grip on life. Even as unsubstantiated as it was, dear God, you're only 13. My dad entered my world. Thank God he was home early. What would have happened if I had taken that walk home all by myself? What lies would I have been to getting? But dad sat down with me and he just let me share what I was going through. He had no clue he was being used by God. He allowed me to cry. He encouraged me to have emotions rather than study, shutting them down. And he listened to me. I believe it's one of the reasons I can cry so easily. I believe it's because I don't have a problem showing emotion because my dad didn't force me to shut it down. But healthy families allow their children to have emotions. They're there to encourage and to lift them up. He didn't try to fix me at the time. Now, later came some conversations that my dad had with me that really helped me grow in my maturity and grow so that rejection didn't eat me alive. But here's the, the passage that Paul talks about in Romans 12, 15, that... I hope we can advance. For some reason, this battery must be dead. Can you advance that, Adam? 
Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, what is Paul talking about here? In the Life Application Bible Commentary, I think they do a better job than what I can even, even say myself. But this is what it says in the commentary. Believers, Christians, hear me. Believers need to be able to empathize with others. To join in with the feelings of others. And here's the kicker. As if we were experiencing it ourselves. Wow. As if we were experiencing it ourselves. But in our culture, we say, well, can't even say the word, to be you, fill in the blank. Christians should rejoice with others with no hint of jealousy. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick on Jeff and Susan and Jillian. I was so ecstatic when I heard they were going on vacation last week. Notice their nice suntan. But you know how many people are jealous when people go on vacation? They can't celebrate with them. But we're going to celebrate as if I went to the Dominican Republic. I was actually on the beach with Jeff and Susan. They just don't know it. I was like, what's the sand like? What's the water like? Oh, bring it some this way. <laughs> Texted him, hate the body of it. Hope it's going good. <laughs> but we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Offering kindness, concern, compassion, and a shoulder to cry on if needed. That has to happen in our families. If our families are going to be healthy, if our church family is going to be healthy, we have to enter into that. Now, you only have the capacity to do that with so many people. I get that. There has to be a small group of people that you're connected to either at home or in the church because it's not like I can celebrate with 150 people. I can't, I can't personally uh, grieve and mourn with every person. I mean, my heart's broken right now because I'm coming up on a year uh, anniversary of my, one of my best friends, Gary Tower, dying. It's the, the, the end of this month, and I'm sitting here going, dear God, I know what this woman's going through as she goes through the first year. And it's like, we've got to enter her world. How can we as the body of Christ if we don't enter the world with them? But what happens in our culture is we don't even celebrate death. We don't even, we don't even offer compassion and care in people's lives because it's not happening in our families very often. And so in the commentary, it says that believers need um, to offer kindness, concern, compassion, and a shoulder to cry on if needed. The believers in Rome needed to have this as they dealt with the ups and downs of daily life in their surroundings. Christianity is neither denying life's hardships nor dulling life's excitements. Our perspective of eternity in Christ can free us to enter into the full variety of living. Both laughter and tears are appropriate before God. I'm going to say that again. Both laughter and tears are appropriate before God. Each has an important place in representing our feelings and our emotions. Identifying with the joys and heartaches of others is also an important way to show people that we love them. Amen. One of the other passages, I didn't, I didn't put it up here, but I love it. It's a, it's a passage in Luke chapter 1, and uh, I believe it's verse 58 if you're taking notes. And it's when Elizabeth, who was barren and had no children, and she gets pregnant with the, the apostle John, when she gets pregnant with John. And uh, Elizabeth is a little excited about getting pregnant finally. And... Uh, and this is what the scripture says. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared in her joy. They shared in her joy. So this doctrine of the church being a family, this doctrine in Paul, he makes a real 
clear, definitive thing that the church is a family. Can I have an amen on that? And we learn how to be a family by being a family within our families. And so being one, being a body, we all belong to each other. Some, that was a scripture Jeff used. We belong to one another. Shelly used in her scripture uh, reference was uh, 1 Corinthians 12, how the body is a unit, I believe. And she talked about when one celebrates, they all celebrate. When one is honored, they all honor, are honored. That literally this is a foundational principle within the word of God is all I'm sorry, trying to say. And if we're going to fear the Lord and be united in, in, in our faith with him, that's what we're talking about when we say the fear of the Lord must, it, it must inform the decisions that we make. That we, when we find out the way we're to operate in the kingdom, we have to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And so what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these principles, we're talking about the principles and the behavior of heaven. Has, has not Jesus entered your world? Did he not take on your iniquities? As if it was, it was his, he took it on himself. He bore your iniquities. He bore your, 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 the chastisement of your peace was laid upon him. He took it on. That's literally the gospel. That's the good news. And we are to demonstrate the same gospel to our family and to our loved ones and to people around us. Can I have a man on that? So healthy families encourage emotions. I'll keep moving. And they enter into those emotions with you. So my question today, let's let the Holy Ghost deal with our hearts here for a moment if we can. Just close your eyes. Don't get distracted by anything right now. I'm going to ask you a question. How does your family encourage emotions? Does your family explore emotions? Do you explore emotions? Is your home a safe place to have emotions? Is your home a safe place to be sad, angry, frustrated, fearful, discouraged? Or does your family shut down emotions? Does your family ignore emotions? Does your family push them under the rug and act like they're not there? Does your family not know how to deal with emotions? Well, what does the Spirit of God want from you? What would the Spirit of God want you to do this week to allow someone in your family or maybe within this church to open up about their emotions? What would it be like this week if you gently began to probe and you see someone's discouraged, or you see someone seems depressed, or you see someone just isn't quite acting like themselves. Their character is just not quite what it used to be. What would it be if you would pray and just begin to gently probe into their life and discover what is going on inside of them? Because again, feelings and emotions are a door to what's going on on the inside. Maybe they need emotional healing. Maybe they need to be signing a personal questionnaire through our emotional t healing team and getting some healing inside. Maybe, just maybe, you need to repent to your family members for shutting down yourself emotionally or shutting them down emotionally. Ooh, I feel something on that. Maybe you're one of those that shut down your emotions and you don't let anybody in. And you're just hoping that somebody notices. Well, my question is, is what dysfunction is God wanting to correct in your family practices and your social behaviors when it comes to your emotions and your feelings? Because healthy families seek emotional healing Healthy families seek and explore emotions. 
this could be a plug for our emotional healing, sure. I promise you there's not a person in this room that doesn't need emotional healing. I signed a PQ, I did a personal questionnaire this week and I turned it in this morning because there's an area of my life where I'm just, I'm frustrated and I, and I need some breakthrough. Realizing that I'm just as jacked as you are in certain areas, right? Well, I do have a disclaimer as we allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts. I am not saying we should be ruled by our feelings and emotions. Hear me. I am not saying that. I am not saying that your feelings and emotions are even real sometimes. <laughs> I love what Chris Valentin from Bethel says. He says that often we exalt feelings over covenant. We exalt feelings over everything. He says, you are not how you feel. Your feelings are not how you are doing. Feelings can go up and they can go down, right? However, when our feelings and emotions are being expressed, they, do, they are opening us up to what is going on in the inside. And that is what needs explored by family members. That's what needs to be explored by church family members. Because those feelings and emotions, they have got, they, they, they need to be dealt with. And so when I, if I'm in a staff meeting with Tom and I'm really frustrated, that frustration is an emotion that needs to be explored. Can I have an amen on that? So, number three, healthy families encourage and explore emotions. And this unifies the family. Can I have an amen on that? I've got about 15 minutes and I'm going to hit number three, or number four. Number four is the big kahuna. It's the big one. It's one that very few people are doing. Healthy families repair damage to their relationships. Write that down. I'm telling, I'm not, and let me know, uh, let me tell you this. This is research. This isn't according to Eric. Research shows that these, if families do these things, they are a healthy family. Uh, the teaching in between is all me, yes. But these, these headings that I'm giving you, it is research. I'm not just telling you a bag of bones from Eric. Literally, research proves that he this is what healthy families do. How does your family deal with conflict? What are your dysfunctional family practices in conflict? What are your dysfun dysfunctional family behaviors in conflict? Conflict is a normal and healthy part of family life. You can't be married. You can't be in this church without having conflict. I'm sorry. It's going to have happen. I hate to pop your bubble, but it's going to happen. And it's okay. But the heart posture of healthy conflict is where I want to go. The heart posture of what God is looking for in our relationships so that we will be families that repair the damage to our relationships. There is a heart posture that we are looking for, that God is looking for. And I promise you, it's not that. That is not the kingdom. That is not the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom of darkness. That is a spirit of fear manifesting in a marriage. That is a spirit of take care of me rather than taking care of you. And it happens every day in America. It happens in the church. A passage that Karen and I have lived our lives on, if you'll show that, Adam, is out of Ephesians. If you, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Literally years ago when I was struggling in my anger, this, this, this passage I meditated on, I studied, I went to the Greek and I, I studied what does it mean because I was dealing with anger. I knew my behavior was not lining up with the Word of God. And literally when I studied this passage, I still know the Scripture, I still know the Greek word. Because literally when it says, don't give the devil a foothold, when you allow, because anger is a normal feeling. Every one of us experience anger. It's, it's in your anger, don't sin. It's not that you can't have anger. You can have anger. It's what you do with it that makes it sin. 
And, and it's what I was doing with it that was causing sin. But literally, that scripture means that when I sin in the midst of my anger, I'm literally giving the devil a foothold. I'm giving him a sheath for a sword. That word foothold literally means sheath, like a, what you'd put your sword in. You're giving the, the enemy authority in your marriage. You're giving him authority in your relationship when you begin to sin in the anger. Now, when I sin in the anger, I start looking like Kurt Cameron in Fireproof. I begin to control. I begin to manipulate. I, I use my anger to get control back. But there's a, so other many emotions that we can use. But I'm telling you, healthy families don't do that. Healthy families find out what God wants, and they, they find out what the posture of the heart needs to be. And they flee bad social behaviors. I decided not to get angry any longer. I choose not to use my anger to get control over my kids. I, used, I refused that behavior. And it took time. I promise you it didn't happen overnight. Washing of the word and getting in the word of God to change that anger that had been handed to me from my family of origin. And if you're doing life like that, I promise you, you need to fill out some emotional healing paperwork and you need to get some freedom. Because I'm telling you, that is not going to change on your own. Anger is a normal part of life, but that's not the way we use anger, right? So we have to be willing to humble ourselves and take responsibility for our part in the conflict and choose to work it out. And so I, I, want to, I want to go into some heart postures. I want to go into some scripture. Where, it's 12 o'clock, praise the Lord. Tom asked me, how many weeks do you think it's going to take you to get through your, ah, two or three? Yeah, right? But I'm highly relational and highly rabbit-trailing and highly, yeah, yeah. Highly anointed. Giving you wonderful stuff that you can take home great leader in the name of Jesus. I'm coming against the word curse. This is good stuff. And this will bring life to your family. This will change your legacy as a family. It will change the dysfunction you're experiencing with your children. If you will allow God to change your heart, you don't have to act this way. You don't have to get overwhelmed. You don't have to say, I had such a rough day at work and you, you have nothing left to give to your kids. Yes, you have something left. You have the presence of God left. You have the anointing of the Most High God on you. You just have to prepare your heart. So conflict. Land the plane. Dear God, how do I land two more pages of notes? This is such a serious situation, guys. This is a big one because we don't do conflict well in our homes. Therefore, we don't do conflict well in the house of God. We sweep things under the carpet. We don't confront. We don't share with people. We don't, brave, we don't have brave communication. We don't tell people how you're making me feel. You just ignore it and then get bitter inside and then talk about them and gossip and do all the sinning in your anger. And it's just like, man, that's not the kingdom of heaven. That's not the way I want to live, is it? How about you? So we're going to go to Matthew 18. I, t I tell a lot of people to go to this passage all the time it's about sin in the church and paul is giving a a wonderful not paul matthew yeah. he's giving a re wonderful explanation on how you deal with somebody that you're in conflict with and i just want to read it amen if your brother or sister sins against you some inter some scriptures don't have against you some just have sins but i put in parentheses because I think it's very serious because in your family in your home in, when your children sin against you if your spouse sins against you and offends you and hurts you if people in the church sin against you and hurt you and offend you 
This is the passage I'm always sending people back to. This is what the kingdom of heaven says that we're to do. This is, this is the pattern that God has established. He says what you're to do is you're, going to, you're supposed to go to that person and point out their fault just between the two of you. Stop. How often do people do that? How often do they go to their brother or sister or their child or somebody that has offended them and they go talk to them about the hurt? What is the normal worldly pattern? Anybody want to share with me what that pattern normally looks like? Ah, thank you, David. You go share it with somebody else and you get some support. You get somebody else that will agree with you and you will demonize the person and you will begin to build a fortified city around you and it's going to then be what we show on the video. It's going to be a fight. It's not going to be, I'm coming to you to seek to understand, man, what you did really hurt to hurt me. What, what's going on in your life that, 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 that you would do that to me? See, what I've noticed over the last month and a half, two months, literally, these principles, if we'll put these principles into effect in our lives, it will bless your business. It will bless your marriage. It will bless your children. It will bless your, your relationships at work. This is not just for your own family. Because people in business aren't doing this, their businesses crash and burn. Because people don't do this in their relationships at work, relationships are crashing and burning. But we get afraid and we cooperate with a spirit of fear rather than going to the person and saying, hey, I just don't understand Man, when you said that, it really, really hurt. When you did that, it really, really hurt. And I'm just here to ask. But what we do, the pattern of this world, we come not with questions. We come with statements. Man, when you, and when you, and when you, you're the selfish one. Just like the girl did, right? Well, that's just picking a fight. But Matthew says that we go to them privately. If, we, if they listen to us, we've won them over. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as a pagan or tax collector. I'm not even going to go into that because we don't even, how we treat a tax collector and all that kind of stuff because we don't treat them rudely. We treat them as if they're unsaved. <laughs> we treat them as if they need to be restored and delivered. We treat them as, hey, way, you, you need to be brought back into the kingdom. You need to be brought into righteousness. You need to be brought, you need to repent and come, come, come clean with God is how we treat them. So here's one thing, and I'm going to try to land this point, dear God. When there is conflict in a relationship, when there is a conflict with your children, when there is a conflict in your relationships at church or any place, there is a need that's not being met. There is a need someone has that needs to be met. And the conflict needs to be resolved. So we have to find out when we're in conflict with people, we have to, we have to identify the need. So if in the fireproof example, he had a need to be what? respected he had a need to be listened to she had a need to be loved she wasn't feeling loved her tank was empty you're on the internet you're always about everybody else and you're not about me she was saying i need love i need input in my life i need to be with you but instead they start yelling but what would happen if in humility and gentleness the wife would go to the husband and say man i'm just feeling really distanced from you I miss you. I long to be with you. And, and, and I want to know what's going on in your heart. Do you want to be with me? What does that look like? Does that look a little different? So we have to find the need. Somebody's complaining. Somebody's hurt. Somebody's afraid. Somebody's frustrated, which goes back into what I taught on the, on the first, where we explore the emotions. Exploring the emotions and feelings of somebody is going to, it's the smoke. It's the smoke, and it takes you back to the what? The fire. 
It leads you back to what's going on inside. And so you, that way you can clean your mess up. That way you can restore the relationship. Can I please have an amen? Help me here. Preach it with me. So when there's a conflict, there's a need. Healthy families find the need that is not being met in the conflict, and they make a choice to work it out together without anger, without manipulation, without control, without pressure. In gentleness, we approach each other, refusing to cooperate with a spirit of fear. Everybody say that. Refusing to cooperate with a spirit of fear. Refusing to cooperate with a spirit of fear. Refusing to cooperate with a spirit of fear. Fear always makes you control. Fear will make you manipulate. Fear will put pressure. Fear will say things that you shouldn't say. We are not going to be a house that is led by a spirit of fear. It was talked about this morning. It was worshipped in our, in our songs. God has not given us a spirit of fear was the declaration. And what we do is in our relationships, we cooperate with the spirit of fear. We get afraid, and that fear then causes us to control and manipulate. Anybody smoked that pipe before? Yeah, one too many times. Actually, I could be the poster child, but not any longer, because I'm not cooperating with that son of a gun any longer. So the hot heart posture. I'm going to hit this quickly. If you're taking notes, there's two heart postures that God is looking for. What are the heart postures that our God is looking for? Remember, the fear of the Lord informs our decisions and behaviors. What is God looking for as we repair our damaged relationships? We realize that the dysfunction that we're currently operating in needs to go. But what are the heart postures he's looking to? So Philippians 2, 4, I'm going to read it really quickly so that we can keep moving says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Want me to read it again? Rather in humility, Philippians 2.4, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. I have got to put other people first. Now, how does that work out? Pride, what does pride do? Pride defends itself. Pride gets its own point across. Pride discounts others' feelings and emotion. Pride is a resistor. God resists the, but gives grace to the humility. Is a heart posture that God wants to get in the body of Christ. In your own family, you don't come when there's conflict and you don't come with you got it all figured out. Humility says, I may not know everything. What I'm assuming in my mind, the track that I've taken may not be right. I may not have all the facts. I may not be judging this person correctly. I may be, I may be judging their, their, their conduct or what's going on in them based upon my experience from the past or based upon my wounds, and I can't assume that I'm right. Everybody say, I can't assume that I'm right. Say that with me. I can't assume that I'm right. If I don't think I'm right, what will I do? If I don't think that I'm right, if I may think that I'm wrong, what will it cause me to do? Ask questions. It will cause me to come to the conflict asking questions. Asking to see if what I'm feeling or what I'm sensing is correct. But if, I, if pride is in operation, I won't ask questions. I will assume I'm right, and I will make statements rather than questions. Does that make sense? Yes. So anytime you go into a conflict and you're in the statement mode, you're in pride. If you're going and you're making statements about the person, you're making statements and conclusions, you're already assuming you're right. That could be a real help for you if you'll write that one down. But if you're coming with questions, you're coming to explore. You're coming to find out if what I'm, what's going on in you. You're coming, and I'm going to Michelle, and I'm asking questions to Michelle, and I'm saying, what's going on? Man, I, I want to know what's going on inside your heart. Man, can you imagine if all of us did this in our families? 
what our families would look like. Can you imagine what the church would look like? They will know we're his disciples by our love. Because this is part of the love. That I love you so much, I am more interested in our relationship than me being right. But pride says, by golly, I'm going to be right and I'm going to show you. I know, I've seen it, man. A lot of you have smoked that many times. Thanks for bearing with me. So the heart posture is humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. Say, God, deal with my heart. God, work humility in me. And really, I I feel like even all the prophetic words that went in place today and all that was said, it it all runs together. You know, it's, it's, you're already in conflict. You're already in these situations. And our tendency is to get out of the trial. Oh, God, deliver me from the trial. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. But even as Kate shared, we got to stay in the conflict and allow the reign of God's Spirit to change us and to wash us so that we can come into that conflict the way the Lord wants us to come into the conflict. Amen. So humility is the new social practice. Humility is the new behavior pattern. Can I have an amen? And so humility asks questions. The second passage is out of Galatians 6, if we'll show that. If you're taking notes, we're getting ready to land this plane. Philippians says, rather... That's number one. Go to the second one. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Heart posture number two is gentleness. Galatians 6, 1 through 4 in the Amplified. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, that's us, right? Are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or pride or self-righteousness, right? Keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will not fulfill the requirements of you will, you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. For if anyone thinks he is something special, when in fact he is nothing special except in his own eyes, he deceives himself. So this again, this, the, what I have underlined, we are in the, pro, the process as we want our relationships, what? Restored. We want our relationships restored. And the way we do that is in a spirit of gentleness. So humility and spirit of gentleness. Everybody say Humility. And a spirit of gentleness. So what I'm showing you, I'm showing you the practices of kingdom of heaven. And these are the practices. These are the heart postures that God wants us in so that we can restore our relationships. And so that is heart posture number two. The spirit of gentleness. And what is gentleness? It's not this mamby-pamby, I'm just not going to confront you, oh, whatever. Sweep it under the carpet and I'm just going to be sweet and nice. That's not what the spirit of gentleness is. Spirit of gentleness is this thing, is I have no desire to control you. I have no desire to control you. I have no desire to manipulate you. I have no desire to to get you to figure something out. I have no desire to help you finally get fixed. You know, fix it, fix it, fix it, and God's saying, feel it, feel it, feel it, you know. That I have no desire to control you. You are responsible for you, and I am responsible for me. So in my children, if they start to do something when they were young as a grasshopper, in gentleness, I should have been in gentleness going to them and saying, hey, I want to know something. Why are you doing that? Because you are affecting other people. Instead, what did I do? Whack, whack, slap. Not real gentle, was it, Rebecca? Gentleness is I have no desire to control you. My goal is to restore relationship, not being right. So the goal on the PowerPoint there, you can see it. The goal of contract resolution is to restore relationship, not to get what I want. Even the goal in resolution is not even agreement. The goal is not to get you and I to agree on, it's to understand The goal of conflict is, I want to understand what's going on inside of you. I want to know what's going on in your life. It's relationship. But we make it about us. That's pride. So, 
Humility and gentleness are our new social practices. Humility and gentleness are our new behaviors. That if we put those into practices, into practice, that we actually will destroy dysfunction in our families. I'm giving you some keys to the kingdom today. So, I got a question for you. Who do you need to restore a relationship with? And how can you bring humility and gentleness into that situation? Maybe you need someone to disciple you and to help you walk through that conflict so that you do it the kingdom way rather than the enemy's way. What are your dysfunctional behaviors and practices? If you're not practicing humility and gentleness, what are you practicing? You need to identify what you're practicing. I know I wasn't practicing good stuff. Do you need to repent to the Lord for already doing the dysfunctional ways? Do you need to fall on your knees and say, God, forgive me? Father, forgive me for doing and using anger and using manipulation and pride. Pride's a big one, guys. Do you need to forgive them before you attempt to even speak to them? See, healthy families don't just happen, church. These skills that I'm talking about, these are learned. These skills are, are brought into your life. You can learn these things. You can, you can apply these principles and they become a lifestyle. And that's what we need, this culture in this house. Can I have an amen? I'm going to end with this quote from Chris Vallotton. I love it. It's good. Please listen. If we are going to have closure and healthy conversations and healthy relationships, we have to scrap this stuff. And what he's talking about is bad behaviors and bad principles, right? You got to scrap that stuff and be real and vulnerable to have a real relationship. You have to be real and vulnerable. Receive what they say and seek to understand. You are not going to die over it. How many have ever thought they're going to die over it? <laughs> I've dreaded going to many meetings thinking I was going to die. I thought, I'm going to take this one for the team. Crucify me, kill me. I have dreaded many confrontations over 22 years of ministry. Haven't I, Pastor Tom? <sighs> You won't die. Have a real conversation where we heal and forgive and take responsibility for how we are making others feel versus defending ourselves and making excuses. Jesus is big enough to heal. Jesus is big enough to heal it. If you punish people, and here's what I love about this statement. Listen to this. If you punish people for confronting you, if you punish people for confronting you, you will create a culture where it is not okay to be wrong. If you punish for people for confronting you and coming up to you and bringing something to your attention, you will create a culture in your family and in this church of it is not okay to be wrong. And so what you end up doing is you create a lying culture because people will lie so that they don't have to be wrong. then people will do whatever they have to do to protect themselves in that culture. And I see this in families all the time. Kids lying to their parents. Why? Because it's not safe to be honest with the parent. Because if I'm honest with the parent, they blow up. And that creates a culture of lying. It creates a culture of rebellion. Because you're not safe enough for me to expose. Into me you see. Because when I show you, you don't like it and you punish me. That's got to change. Can I have an amen on that? If there is a lot of punishment in your home or in the church, then the cost is too high to be honest and people will lie to avoid the pain, of the pain or the cost. I lied to you because I thought you were going to hurt me. I then protect myself from you. Our homes and our houses must be a safe place, and if I have failed, to sh failed, it should not be the end of the world. 
If people lie to you a lot, it may be because you are a punisher. It may be that telling you the truth is way too costly. So if you have problems in your life with people not being real with you, you might have a punishing thing. So I want to review quickly and close this down. Healthy families what? Encourage and explore emotions. Healthy families repair damage to their relationships. God is wanting to do something in your heart. What, is he going, what are you going to do with this message today? If you leave today and you don't apply these truths to your life, nothing changes. 